Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm glad each one of you are here. And those of you who are uh, being part of our fellowship uh, online, I'm glad you're here too. We're all one family. And uh, I'd like to um, encourage you to, that we're going to be having a worship night this coming Friday. And we actually have someone coming in from New York, part of the family here, who's going to be leading the worship. And so we have a sign-up sheet out there if you want to sign up for a dish to pass. And if you uh, finger food, refreshments, you know, things like that, hunks of lobster, whatever you want, you know, just kind of <laughs> sign up. And, um, and if you can't bring anything, still come. It's going to be a wonderful night of worship. And also we have a sign-up sheet for a women's Bible study out there. And my wife is going to be leading a women's Bible study. So put your name down if you'd like to come to it, if you're a lady, okay? And I think that's all the announcements I have to make. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. There truly is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And I pray, Father, that it is in that name that we open up our hearts to receive your word this morning. Speak to us, encourage us, and help us to draw closer to you, Lord. You're so awesome, beyond our ability even to know fully. And yet your love for us was so simply presented through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that anyone who calls upon his name can be saved. And so, Father, come by your Holy Spirit and minister your word and your truth to us this morning, I ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So anyway, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 3, and I'm going to, going to be picking up with verse 23. And uh, so if you're in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 23, keep your finger there and also turn to Luke chapter 23 and uh, verses 27 uh, through 31. You know, I don't know if you've ever taken time to just think about God. Do you understand that he is really unknowable as far as the immensity of who he is? Because I have a weird you know, mind, and that's okay. Charles Darwin wrote a book in order to disprove God and prove that science is the creation of everything that we see. But the title of his book betrays his entire thesis. The, the title of the book is Origin of the Species. But the reality is, if there's an origin, there had to be an originator. Because there had to have been something that came from something that wasn't. And so to even think of God and trying to describe him in our human earthly terms, it's only a likeness of God is like this or God is like that. But the immensity of God is so far beyond what we can even imagine. You know, we say, no, he's up there or yonder. Well, actually, if you go to the constellation of Orion, you go three million light years to, you know, uh, this and that and this and that. We don't know where heaven is. Heaven isn't a creation. You understand that? God is outside of all of this. You know, the redshift, I don't want to get into two, but the redshift proves that our universe has limits, it has boundaries. So what's outside those boundaries? I don't know. But it shows how immense God is. I mean, he's the God who created us, and he's able to have personal relationship with us because he desires to. We can never know all of who God is except what he reveals to us. But... He reveals enough to us that we can have a relationship with him, that we can be born again, we can have the assurance of being with him for all eternity someday. 
Because in our flesh, in our body, it's impossible for us to have a full understanding of God. And that's why it's such a wonderful promise that God has given us that we're all going to receive a glorified body one day. And in that glorified body, we're going to be able to worship the Lord in ways that we can't even imagine. Everything that we think about in our lives is part of creation. Like you think about worshiping the Lord. Well, you know how you worship the Lord? You know, we usually sing. And when you sing, what it is is you bring air up out of your lungs. It passes across your vocal cords. They vibrate. It makes a sound. My sound that I make is awful. That's why I try to sing low. I sing solo. Solo, nobody hears me. But anyway, we'll, is that what we'll have in heaven? That's all part of creation. What will singing be in heaven? It's going to be beautiful beyond what we can understand. But the only point I'm trying to make here, I don't want to my mind, because I, I don't want to go off too much into it, is just to bring out the fact, the immensity of who God is. It's so far beyond their ability to understand. And to think that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. The entire fullness of the Godhead condescended and was wrapped in flesh. Do you understand how amazing that is? But now Jesus is with the Lord. He was resurrected, and he was risen to be with the Lord, and the Bible says we no longer know him after the flesh. And that's why when we think of Jesus, we shouldn't be thinking of some you know, white-robed, sandal-foot guy with long hair. When we think of Jesus, look at Revelation. You have a little bit different view. I mean, John, who walked with him, when he saw the resurrected Jesus Christ in his glorified form you know, in heaven, fell down as if he were dead. That's the God we serve. And so when we read his word, we have to understand this just isn't ink on a page. It is. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But the meaning of it is much deeper than ink on a page. It's something that we can only understand spiritually, that we can bring in spiritually. And yet God has given us, in his word, it tells us everything that we need for life and godliness. How amazing is that? I mean, it's so easy to get caught up in the things of this world. But the reality is, okay, I'm gonna, just being honest with you, a lot of the stuff in this world really stinks. A lot of great stuff, a lot of wonderful things, but the reality is there's a lot of things in this world that just aren't fair and really stink. But the fact is, he has given us something that's beyond this world. Who you are is not who you think you are. Your body, soul, and spirit. You're a triune being. No doubt about that. And so we usually react to one another, and when we think of ourselves, we're thinking of it in a bodily form. And that's all pride and vanity, right? You know, Frank was joking about all the memes and everything people put on Facebook. You know, I love this one. That hurt my lips. I'm having... But anyway, you know, all those memes that everybody puts on. And, you know, I, I look at them and I say, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, that's just a picture. I mean, I love seeing pictures of family and church family doing things and this and that. But the reality, who you are is so much more than a picture. It's so much more than this body, so much more than this outward flesh. You have a soul, which is your self-identity, your personality, who you are as an individual. And... The soul is immaterial. It can't die. 
Our body can die, but the soul can't. But then you also have a spirit. And the whole purpose of that spirit is to have communion with God. That's why scripture tells us in the Greek that when we're born again, our spirit is quickened. That means to be made alive. Because until we're born again, we really have no relationship with God. But when we are, our spirit's made alive, and we have that relationship with the Lord. And what a joy it is to know him. That all the fears of this world can be laid aside. Because the greatest fear man faces is death. And the reality is, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, who gives us the what? The victory. Wow. That is the God we serve. It's the most amazing thing in the world. And I just wanted to share that. It's something I've been thinking about. And, um, you know, when it comes to you and I as individuals, we're, responsibles for the, we're responsible for the choices we make, right? Every one of us are. And the fact is that if we make a wrong choice, it often leads to very difficult times for us and sometimes even injury, right? And so when you make a wrong choice, what is it that you should do? I'm going to hear from you. Repent. Say, I'm sorry. That's what you should do. Now, understand this. When you've done something that is wrong, and especially when it's something that's contrary to God's word and you've done that wrong, then you go to the Lord and you repent. Repent, the word literally means to make a 180. In other words, if I'm going in this direction, now I'm going in this direction. I was going the way of the flesh, now I'm going the way of God. That's what repentance mean, means. And when you repent, if we confess our sin, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when you repent, your sins are forgiven. You're all set. But the reality is, and this is something that we have to lay hold of, we have to understand as, as, as believers that sometimes there are consequences to our sin, even if we repent. For instance, let's say I chose to go down Kirkville Road, drag racing somebody doing 92 miles an hour, you know, in, in my Kia. <laughs> you know? And I get pulled over, and I get a speeding ticket. And I, I go before the judge, and I say... Oh, judge, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. I really repent. I know it was my choice. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. The judge says, yeah, I forgive you. $500 fine. You know, the point I'm making is you can be forgiven, but sometimes there are still consequences to what we have done. Now, one of the wonderful things is, in Jesus Christ, one of the wonderful things that often happens is that he, de he doesn't even give us what we deserve. Sometimes we deserve a consequence, and he doesn't give it to us because he's so loving. Because the thing we have to realize, that we are violators of the law of God. And we deserve, according to the law of God, death. But Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on a cross as a propitiation. That means someone who takes your place, that all of our sin might be forgiven. And rather than having death, we have life. In Jesus Christ, we have life. Do you understand how amazing that is? 
You as a believer, you will never, for one nanosecond, lose conscious awareness of your self-identity in Christ, even when you die. Not for a nanosecond. So rapture came, not for a nanosecond. Boom, we're with the Lord. It's just an amazing thing to consider. And in this portion, Moses ran into this, where he did something he shouldn't have done, and he's confessing and repenting and saying, oh, God, don't, don't bring this judgment on me. I, I want to enter into the promised land. And God says, no, you can't. And so the goodness of God and also the judgment of God are all part of his love for us. Judgment in relationship to raising your children is a sign of love if it's done lovingly. In other words, if I have uh, my children, I don't have any children, my grandchildren, and I don't discipline my grandchildren, I let my kids do that, I did it enough with my son. But anyway, um, <laughs> but if, when my children were home and at the table, and if I said to them, I'll tell you what, Mommy made the best cheesecake you've ever seen. It is just delicious. It's fantastic. You eat everything on your plate, and you're going to get a nice piece of cheesecake. And they go, no, not going to eat everything on my plate. And then you say, okay, here's your piece of cheesecake. That's not love, because you are training your child to be disobedient, to have no self-respect, and have no respect for others. So if you say to your child, okay, that's your choice, but you don't get any cheesecake. Oh, cheesecake. Well, next time eat everything. The point I'm getting at is that God's discipline for us is always out of love in order to bring us to a closer, more intimate relationship with him. Even with Moses, he had to show his discipline. And before we get into Deuteronomy, I told you to turn, turn to Luke 23. And we're going to look at verses 27 through 31. And this is literally when Jesus was carrying his cross out to Golgotha. He was going to be crucified. And a great multitude of people followed him and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turning to them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourself and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore, and the breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and, and the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? What Jesus is talking about there is look at the absolute depravity of man. Here you have the creator of the universe, and they're about to crucify him. Their desire for righteousness and for the things of God for this world were just lost. Even among the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, it was all religion. Understand religion is made up. Religion is just all man-made stuff. Do this, do that, do this, do that, have this, do, 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 do. What we have as believers is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. We have a relationship. That's what it's all about. 
It's not about me standing up here and telling you what you have to do in this holy day or not doing that day and how you dress and how you don't dress, whether you cut your hair or don't cut your hair. That's not my, my position. My position is just simply to point you to God and you worship him. And God will show you what he wants you to do. Well, what it means here is Jesus is saying to Greenwood. I mean, here he is. He's right here being crucified. Now, what's going to happen when it's dry? All we have to do is look around in our world right now and we see it. Do you not understand how depraved our world is? People celebrate the taking of human life in abortion. They celebrate it. The governor has a big conference, a big smile on his face. And it's depravity beyond what we can imagine. Beyond what we can imagine, the depravity. And look at how people treat each other. All they're concerned about is me, 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 me. The idea of, of being altruistic and pouring love out onto others for no other reason than you just love them is lost. It's really dry. The wood's really dry. And that's the reason the Word of God tells us when we see these times, which are now upon us right now, lift up your head because your redemption is drawing near. And Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. And you understand, Jesus is coming back for his church. The reason is twofold. Number one, he loves us. And number two, he wants to take us out of this world before his wrath is poured out. Because he has not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation. Pray that you're counted worthy to escape all the things that are coming upon the face of this whole earth. And it's about to come. And brothers and sisters, the earth deserves it. This world deserves it. And just the attitude that they, they have towards mankind and towards one another. You know, the love we should be having for one another. Instead, we have judgmental attitudes and all these snarky comments we make and, and stuff like that. Sometimes even among brothers and sisters. It's wrong. So anyway, we get into Deuteronomy here, and we, we find that even Moses, who's called a friend of God, there were certain things that God disciplined him in because of unbelief. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, and verses 23 through 29, if you want to follow along, this is Moses speaking. Then I pleaded with the Lord at the time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account. Actually, it was his account. We'll talk about that in a moment and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. God was being very curt with Moses right here. Go up to the top of Mount Pisgah and lift your eyes towards the west and the north and the south and the east. Behold it with all your eyes, for you shall not cross over to the Jordan. You know, just a little side note. One of the trips that we took to Israel, we went into Jordan. We went up on top of Mount Pisgah where Moses was, and you could overlook all of the promised land. It was unbelievable. Of course, they had a shrine there where they said Moses was buried, which is unbiblical because Satan and the archangel, uh, got, you know, they fought over Moses' body. 
and the archangel buried Moses where no one knows, so he doesn't have a tomb anywhere. And you know why they did that? They didn't want people to start worshiping Moses. You know, let's go to his gravesite and worship him. No, no, he didn't want that. Verse 28. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So we stayed in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Now, <clears throat> the prayer here of Moses that's recorded is simply his desire to see more of God. I mean, consider all that the Lord took Moses through. Just think about this. These are just a few things I wrote down, his experiences in life. He saw the face of God. Uh, he gave people the law. He led a rebellious people to the edge of the promised land. And he wrote the first five books of the Bible. It's pretty amazing. Probably a, a bigger accomplishment than most of us, I'd say, wouldn't you? And yet, God gave him a disciplinary, you know, action because of what he did. Well, what did Moses do? Well, he actually did two things. The one thing that we know for sure that it tells us in Scripture that kept him out of the promised land is the people started, you know, complaining, we want water, we don't, we're, going to start, we're going to die of thirst out here, we want water. And you have to remember, when people think of the children of Israel in the desert, they think of Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments, and they think about, you know, maybe two or 3,000 people. There were probably closer to 2 million people. So when that water came out of the rock, it not only gushed out, it would have formed a whole river that they would have gotten the water from. But anyway... God said to Moses, okay, the people need water. Go to the rock. And remember, Scripture tells us the rock that followed them in the desert was Jesus Christ. How do we wrap our heads around that? Work on it. I don't know. But anyway, the Lord said, speak to the rock. And Moses was ticked off at the people and also of his own self-importance because even Moses dealt with ego. And he took his staff and he said, must we, what do you mean we? <laughs> you know, must we bring water out of the rock? Moses, you don't bring anything out of the rock. God does. And he took his staff and he struck the rock three times. And the Lord said, you're not going into the promised land for two reasons. He disobeyed God. He said, speak to the rock. And number two, he put himself alongside of God in importance. But that wasn't the only thing. He was also one of the men of fighting age. You have to realize that the Lord said that anyone who believed the, uh, the report of the ten spies who said we can't go in, all of you, you're not going to enter in. The only two that entered in were Joshua and Caleb because they gave a good report. They said, you know what? God's with us. Let's go in and take it. It's ours. But Moses obviously went along with the crowd, went along with the group. How do we know that? They didn't go in. You know, he didn't say, well, you 10, you're done. You know, I, I just disavow what you're saying. But anyway, discipline came on Moses. Even with all that he did, the fact is God had to keep his word because he cannot deny himself. And, um, but realize it was so natural. It really was so natural to wish to enter in with the children of Israel. I mean, he was like, you know, a father, 
and a grandfather to all those people. He's the one who liberated them from Egypt, and his love for them was just overwhelming. And all he thought about was the promise of God entering into Canaan. And so, of course, he wanted to enter in. He wanted to see more of God. He wanted to see the children blessed that he loved so much. But the Lord said, no. He said, but I'll give you a view of it. Go up on top of Mount Pishkah, and you'll see it. You get a view of it. And you know, the Lord gives us a view of the promised land too, doesn't he? I mean, we know all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, and we're born again and going to heaven. But as far as heaven is concerned, it's beyond, like I mentioned at the beginning, it's beyond our ability even to comprehend. But we see it in a distance. We see it in distance. Have you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? You want to do that. It's a great book. It was written in 1640 or something like that by John Bunyan while he was in prison for his faith. But anyway, um, we get a glimpse of heaven. But the fact is, one day we will go there. And Moses got a glimpse of the promised land, and he was going to enter into a land much greater you know, than Canaan. So God's mercy and love has always been poured out on every one of us. And so we have to realize that we're responsible to God. We're not responsible to what other people think, what other people feel we should be doing. We're responsible to God. Have you ever had someone say, you know, what I think you should do, I want to look at him and say, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what you think. What does the Lord want me to do? What does the Lord want me to do? Well, I think this is how you should run church. Well, what does the Bible say? I don't care what you think. You understand what I'm saying? We have to follow the Lord. We can't just follow the dictates of men. And sometimes that's difficult, even with the ones we love the most. Have you ever loved someone so much that you're more concerned about pleasing them than you are the Lord? That's a dangerous place to be. The way you can love someone the most is by loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that way, no matter how they react to you or think of what you're saying or doing, you're ministering to them the only truth that counts. It'll get them to heaven. And it's interesting here, too, that um, God never leaves us or forsakes us, does he? Because even though Moses couldn't enter into the promised land leading the people, what did God tell Moses to do? He said, go give Joshua the commission to lead the people in. He wasn't going to leave the people without leadership, without someone guiding them. That's how loving our God is. And Joshua, of course, it's interesting. To me, it's interesting because Moses is, to me, a type of the law, right? God gave him the law. And by the law, we can know God, and we can know that we're sinners, but by the law, we can never enter into salvation. Now, Joshua, by the way, do you know what Jesus' real name is? Joshua. Jesus is a very uh, slaughtered Western terminology of Yeshua or Joshua. But isn't it interesting? Joshua is the one that led them in, and the law brings us to the border 
of the promised land, knowing that we're sinners, that we need to do something about it. But then it's Jesus that leads us in. He leads us in through salvation. All of our sins are forgiven. It's absolutely amazing. And um, I don't think Moses was ungrateful. I just think he wanted more of God. And he noticed, didn't fight God. When God said, be quiet, I've had enough of this, Moses didn't say, well, please, go on. He just condescended to the Lord, which is what we need to do all the time as well. And he, in humility, accepted God's decision. And um, the thing that's cool, when he had Moses see the promised land from the distance, even seeing something from a distance is so um, satisfying and it gives you so much security, doesn't it? Because you know it's there. You might not have gone in, but you know it's there when you see something from a distance. And in the same way, we see our salvation. We see our relationship with God, maybe now just from a distance, but we're going to be with him soon. And the interesting thing is, did you know, this is like a little trick question and, and something you might want to pull on someone sometime. Did you know Moses actually did enter into the promised land? Oh, what do you mean? What do you mean? Well, in Matthew 17, 1 through 13, we find that Jesus went up on a hill and he took John and Peter with him and he met with Moses and Elijah. So Moses was there with Elijah, you know, talking to Jesus in what we call the transfiguration. I mean, I know that's just, he really wasn't, it was, but anyway, get my point. <laughs> now, um, all of us, of course, would like to go to heaven through the rapture, right? I mean, how many of us would rather be raptured than die? <laughs> I mean, I'm not afraid of death because I know I'm going to be with the Lord, but the reality is, you know, we're kind of like Moses that way. Lord, you know, whether I live or whether I'm, I die, I'm going to be with you, but let me go in the rapture. <laughs> let me just, you know, let me not taste death. Let me just, yeah, you know, woo, be gone. But the thing you have to remember is the dead in Christ rise first. <laughs> After that, we who are left and still alive shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. These are the promises we have of God. In 1 Timothy... 6 verses 6 through 7 it says now godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out just be content with God and with what you have you know how many people of us, how many of us always want more if you always want more you will always want more if you always want more, you'll never be content. You'll always want more. Just be satisfied with what God has given you. Thank you, Jesus. I might not have as much as this person, but I have everything God wants me to have. I have everything I need. Praise the Lord. Godliness with contentment. And it's interesting, in verse 28, he says, Command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. God desires to give leadership to his people out of love and for no other reason, rather than have some really crowd. You know, um, I was in the Army, 
And when I finished basic training, and I was a, I wasn't even a PFC, private first class, I was a private E2. When I was a private E2, one of the things that I discovered is that my commanding officer didn't care what I thought. Well, Captain, you know, here's what I, <laughs> you know, he didn't even care. The fact is that in the military, you have leadership for a good reason. Because if you don't have leadership, you're never going to be able to fight any battle. You're never going to be able you know, we'd be like the Three Stooges. You know, <laughs> Frank was showing me the Civil War thing with the Three Stooges. And you're going in all different, that's the way it would be. But you have to have a commanding officer that can say, okay, here we go. Sergeant, lead the cadence, we're going in. You got to have that. Well, the Lord knows even with the church, there has to be some form of organization. There has to be some form of leadership. But understand, it's from God, not from man, because I want you to turn to Ephesians. I'm closing with this in Ephesians 4. Go to Ephesians 4 and verse 11. This is what I'm closing with. And in Ephesians 4, starting with verse 11, I love how it starts. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he himself, notice it's a capital H for he and a capital H for himself. It's talking about God. He himself. So in other words, this wasn't, you know, man-made elections. This wasn't man-made appointments. This is from God. He himself gave some to be apostles. And we know the 12 apostles. Some prophets. The Lord has had prophets all through the ages. And some evangelists those who take the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world, he appoints them. He's the one who calls them. And some pastors and teachers. In the Greek, that's a hyphenated word, pastor-teacher. In other words, the pastor is a teacher. So God is the one who called Pastor Frank and I. He's the one who appointed us. No one voted us in. He appointed us to pastor, to lead, to shepherd this church by the word of God to teach the word. See, my, my responsibility isn't to stand up here and say, well, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this, and you need to do that, or you're not a good boy or girl. My responsibility is to teach, and Pastor Frank's responsibility is to teach the word of God to you and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work, to guide, and to direct you. That's what we're called to do, pastor teachers. And I love that it says, um, he himself. Now look at what it goes on in verse 12. And it tells what the reason is. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. What? You mean the saints? The body is supposed to be doing work of ministry? Yeah. My responsibility, Pastor Frank's responsibility, is to help equip you for works of ministry. That you might go out and minister to the needs of this world. For the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. That's a promise from God. You know, here's the thing. You look around this world, and, and, and people are so stupid, and they're so selfish, and they're so... You know, everything is about me, me, me. I mean, you talk about, people say, well, this person is narcissistic, this person is narcissistic. Here's the reality. Here's the diagnosis. We're all narcissistic. You know, 
I don't wake up in the morning and say, well, I wonder how Vi's doing. I wonder how my kids are doing. I wake up in the morning, it's like, you know, I got to get in and brush my teeth, wash my face. I'm thinking of myself. But the Lord wants us to be altruistic. Altruistic is expressing love with no need for anything in return. That's what altruism is. That's the kind of love God shows towards us. And so we need to have the altruistic love towards others. We just want to bless them. And it makes no difference if we get What, what if they don't appreciate it? Well, if you're looking for appreciation, you never did it because you loved them anyway. You did it because you want to look good. It's got to be just simply out of love that we do anything for the Lord. Because here's the point. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church soon. And the only way you're going to, anyone is going to go in the rapture, taken from the Latin word raptos, which means to be caught up, 1 Thessalonians. The only way any of us are going to be caught up to be with the Lord is if we're born again. You can't just be a churchgoer or they're a good person. Well, there's no, none good but God. If you're calling someone a good person, you're denying the word of God and calling God, you know, below, you know some, some guy like God. No one's good. The only way any of us go to heaven is because we're sinners saved by grace. I knew I was a sinner. I'm still a sinner saved by grace. I have to make confessions and repentance to the Lord all the time. I've never come to a place where I'm saying, well, God, I'm just so thankful I've come to this place where I never sin anymore. Because that makes me a liar. That God be true and every man a liar. Scripture, read First John. And read about those who say they don't sin. It's calling God a liar, it tells us, when we say that. But the fact is, I'm forgiven. I've repented, I'm forgiven. And if there's anyone here who has never been born again, has never given their life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you just think you're kind of good enough to go to heaven. This is the day of your salvation. It's a very simple thing. You don't have to go through catechism classes. You don't have to come and kneel before me and I bless you and pour oil in your head or do whatever. You know what you have to do if you want to be born again? Right in your seat. Just say, God, forgive me a sinner. Please, I want to follow you. Come in and take over my life. He does. Well, that's too simple. If it was any more complex, none of us would be saved. We need simple. And that's God's love for you and I. And that's why I love even the study of the Old Testament. Because it has such relevance to us today under the new covenant. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And I pray that if there are any here today who have never committed their life to you, this would be the day, this would be the time that they would do that. And I ask, Father, that you would minister your word to our heart and spirit and life, that we would walk after you and not after the flesh. And we give thanks, Lord, for all that you've already done and all that you're accomplishing. And I pray this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.